Blog Talk Radio. Oh, you know, sometimes instead of just saying good morning repetitively, this morning I feel like saying yippee-ki-yo-ki-yay. <laughs> what a wonderful feeling, what a wonderful day. Because I'm sitting here with, as you could see, Richard Flint of Richard Flint Seminars, my co-host. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Miss Deb. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thank you. So I'm the host, and this is my co-host. I'm here on Radio. This is the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. You know what? We got a lot of factors of kindness that we bring to you, Richard and I here. And one of the things that we think is really kind to do is to have a no apologies show where we are talking about the things that we know absolutely are really important for us and for you. So here's here's our write-up for today. No apologies. Open and honest discussion about our current culture in America. We come together to ask the pertinent questions about what it is that keeps you thinking productively regarding the political strife in America and how it's impacting each one of us. There's no escaping the reality that the overarching theme for us here in 2020 is a level of oppressive control that has us fearful with uncertainty about what will happen next. We have a presidential election happening in 22 days. The concern is that even on that day, we'll have uncertainty. So what shall we do? What are our options? Well, our biggest option is to vote. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Have you already voted? No. I want to vote in person, and that means I need to travel from uh, Chicago to St. Louis to do it. Now, can you early vote there? Like uh, here in Virginia, they're already voting. I mean, you can wear polls, you can go to the polls and go in and vote in person. And did you see where in uh, Georgia yesterday, people stood in line for six hours uh, to vote? Oh, my and vote Well, hallelujah, because I'm not voting by mail. I yeah. think, I, you know, I, I hate to say it. I grew up loving the United States Post Office, and we had a regular postal man who delivered to our home when I was a child. But um, what, we've got, what we've got in our country right now is not the post office that I grew up with. I don't I don't get my mail. I haven't gotten my mail reliably for a decade. Well, do you think people are actually mailing you stuff? <laughs> oh, well, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> I thought you were sending me all those checks. Is this a confession? <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I there's just I've got all kinds of stories, but uh, yeah, I will be I will be voting in person live. I will take a drive down and I will uh, arrive so that I can be there before the doors open because I'm not a person who's going to wait in line for six hours for anything. Well, maybe you want to check and see if uh, if there's only places that are open now, and rather than wait for that day, oh yeah, go down go down early. Yeah. And you- both in person. That's exactly. I, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised at how many people are going to vote in person. 
I think there's a whole host of people who are saying, it is my right to vote, and you're not going to keep me from voting. And the voting, voting in person is going to be a statement that they're going to make. Without a doubt. I'm going to be real interested to see because uh, they were saying this morning, and I was listening to this, that um, there seems to be three camps out there about voting. Uh, I hate Trump, so I'm going to vote against him. I think Biden is an idiot, so I'm going to vote against him. Yeah. I'm so fed up with all of this that I'm just not going to vote. Yeah, right. I've heard the same thing, and I find it, I find it, um, it you know, it's disheartening is what it is, because uh, I can't help but identify with people and and feel very compassionate about it. And I know that you and I are here on a mission to not apologize to anybody for the conversations that we have. We're not telling people how to vote. That's not our position. That's not our our uh, belief system. But what we'd really like to invite people to do on our platform with us and, and on, on, our, in, on each of our other platforms is Open your mind and think it through. Think through what the critical issues are. Critical thinker. Ask yourself questions. And for goodness sakes, it's really easy to get captured by somebody's personality and either get drawn in or turned off. You cannot afford to get turned off by either candidate because, excuse me, President Trump is behaving badly. Vice President, uh, former Vice President, Mr. Biden is is behaving badly, and I just I, I look at both of them and I get very discouraged. But I am watching what are the issues, where are they in terms of the things that that are important to me. Well, see, this is why I was a little confused yesterday because. Uh, Former Vice President Biden stood in front of a crowd and said, I'm a Democrat, I believe in this country, and that's why I'm running for the Senate. <laughs> Did he really say that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of confused. I thought he was running for the presidency of the United States. But yesterday he announced that he's running for the Senate. Did he catch himself? Uh, no. Did anybody correct him? I don't, I don't know because they had that that uh, that video clip, and I sat there and I just I thought about that for a second, and you know, again, you know, and uh, I'm not apologizing for saying this, but I don't think uh, that it's really Vice President, former Vice President Biden, that's running for president. I don't either. I think it's Kamala Harris. I do too. And I think. If by some chance, and I pray every day that he doesn't doesn't win the election, that it won't be long uh, until he will no longer be the president. He will be, you know, mentally incapable, and then that opens up the biggest door of fear I have. She becomes president, and then Pelosi becomes vice president. I'm I'm terrified about that, Ashley. I'm not just going to say I'm concerned about it. I'm terrified by it because. I don't hear either of those women being respectful at all to anybody, not to the press, not to the not not in the debates, nothing. 
I don't, I don't perceive them answering questions. I mean, I would like for them to answer questions, but I don't hear them answering questions unless it's a flippant remark that is in direct denial and in, in, in direct conflict, Richard, with what I heard them say earlier. So we're, you know, if, if Pinocchio was alive and well, and inside of them, their noses would be telephone poles. Well, I wish they could. I wish they could put, you know, former uh, Vice President Biden in a room and sit there and go, "Okay, here's a clip of what you said a couple of years ago." Yeah. Now, here's what you're saying today, which is true. Which is true. Because the public has the right to know what each believes. Yeah. And I think with President Trump, you know what he believes because, I mean, he doesn't hold anything back. No, nobody owns him. Yeah, and that was a statement that he made in Florida yesterday, is that they don't like me because I'm not a Washington insider. I'm not a politician. I'm an American who has been present present in this country serving you. You know, one of the things that I heard him talk about, Richard, that I was – I was very pleased about, and and I understand this too, because I've been doing fundraising for my institute. And and, and I don't, it's not that I want to turn away anybody's money, but I'm very, very mindful about the people who say, I've got this huge chunk of change. And and in in the feeling and the conversations that we have is so much about my not being able to do what is my life's work and my passion. So I'm working really intelligently, I hope, and strategically to raise the money, to create the money so that I can do what I want to do. And, you know, even if it means I have to do it differently and on a smaller scale so I can do it without having people come in and maneuver it. And and my point is that I heard um, President Trump <clears throat> being interviewed and the, the commentator, the interviewer was saying, well, how come you're not out? You know, um, Vice President Biden is this many million of millions of dollars ahead of you. How come you're not out raising the money? I mean, you're falling behind. And he said, because I'm not taking any big, huge checks. I'll put in my own money because I don't want anybody owning me. <clears throat> I cannot be president and lead and have these huge entities who have who have invested in me and told me, here's what you're going to do. And he's right. He's doing things with, with you know, um, well, name any kind of anything, the pharmaceutical industry. He can't allow them to invest in him in, in, a, in a major league big way. Well, yeah, because if they give you money, there is an expectation that goes with that. Right. Don't put us on these things. Be working with us on these things. Right. Well, and that would be the interesting thing about uh, Washington, D.C., is I think if you put any of these politicians' lives under a microscope and look at who backs them, mm-hmm. who gives them money, mm-hmm. and in some respects, who has bought them? Yeah. Because, I mean, there's no way you can expect the drug companies are, you know, all these different organizations that have all of these people there in Washington and uh, to not give them money without expecting, 
you know, I'm going to scratch your back, you scratch my back. Right. And uh, it's a shame. I mean, I, I've said for years, we need to do away with all these packs. Yeah. Right. But, and, uh, well, because that is really one of the things that, that I like about President Trump. There are things about him that I don't like, uh, but the but majority is I like him. He's a, he's a person that has done what he said he was going to do with all of the limitations that have been put on him mm-hmm. and all of the distractions that have been thrown at him. Yeah, un- un- unrelenting. Now, I will tell you that um, I have... I have um, liked the style of Vice President Biden over the years intermittently. He's, he's got a certain gentility. I worried about him when he would disappear and come back and look like he had had, um, and I'm not being flippant here, he looked like he had cosmetic surgery on his face. And, and that concerned me because I would rather see the actual lines of a person's character on their face Plus, every time you go under general anesthesia, it does compromise your cognitive ability. It does compromise your So you really ought to do it for life-saving and, and life comfort measures, not for vanity. And, and granted, there's all different ways that they do this. But it seems like every time he goes through this, or I observe that I think he goes through this, he comes back and he feels a little bit more compromised. Now, I say that in the face of, I believe that he is actually a loyal American. However, I think that he has been courted by some lovely ladies, lovely looking ladies, who are not lovely in terms of clean intention. I think that they have lured him and cajoled him into the positions that they're at with him. There's no way that Kamala Harris is is in a position to be able to be a vice president, let alone a president. She she does not have the experience. Being a lawyer does not give you the experience. You've got to be way beyond being an attorney to do that. You, you need to really be an incredible business person and a negotiator, not a reactionary, which is what I see her being. But what I see is that really concerns me is I think that Mr. Biden has started to see that he is surrounded by people who, you know, he's out there now saying, well, no, I don't support the Green Deal. No, I don't support stopping fracking. Well, excuse me, Mr. Biden, but you're surrounded by people who are insisting that, yes, you do, and that, yes, you do go for socialized medicine. And I heard yesterday, I don't know if this is true or not, because you never know what's true or not, but in terms of who he wants to put on the Supreme Court, who he wants to put in terms in, in charge of health care is Bernie. And, w- and who he wants to put on the Supreme Court, I thought I heard him say Bernie Sanders. Now, he's got to make up his mind one or the other. I think I don't think he can serve both. But the point is, if he does things like that, then he is far more radical. And I don't know, quite frankly, I see him as having cognitive impairment, classic. I don't know if he really understands what he's doing. My fear for him, I think that the reason that Nancy Pelosi is really looking at the 25th Amendment, if she can figure out a way to get our president uh, indicted on mental incapacity, that's one thing. But if not him, then Mr. Biden, if he wins. Well, you know, 
I say this all the time because I really believe it. There is always an agenda behind the agenda. Yes, there is. And I think that there is some major agendas behind uh, with Mr. Biden. Yep. Uh, you know, I think that he's a storefront. I, I do too. And when you open the door and walk into the store, he's not there. Yeah. And, you know, it was spoken this morning uh, that if he's elected, they're saying that one of his top candidates for attorney general would be the governor of New York, Como. I saw that. That man has ruined New York. How could anybody possibly want to give him more power? Well, and then the other part would be let's make uh, let's make uh, Como the uh, Attorney General, and then we'll make uh, the Blasio Secretary of State. They'll ruin the entire country. We'll all move. <laughs> yeah. But some of the things that have been floated about for what would be his cabinet are really some scary people. Okay. And like and who? These are uh, Beto O'Rourke. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, far left people, that would be his cabinet, and uh, it's it's frightening. It's been coming for decades. Yeah. Well, but something you said earlier, and it, it, it is the uh, it is the ultimate goal is power. Right. I mean, just just fathom what would happen if Mr. Biden, by some miraculous way, was elected president. The Democrats won the Senate, and they maintained uh, the House of Representatives. And they passed the Supreme Court. Yeah. And they make Puerto Rico and Washington D.C. states. What would the impact of that be? Uh, four new uh, Democratic senators, more than likely. My. I mean, this is this is what uh, you know. I, I, it, it challenges me. I don't think that people, and you have said it so many ways. I don't think that people are really thinking down the road. No, they're not. And they're not thinking future. They're thinking moment. And they're thinking through hatred. Yeah. And this hatred is not something that people can explain. It's something that they've been programmed with. Exactly. And, Richard, you just nailed something. When people are being programmed, you and I both know doctors in psychology. The human condition is such that if you program people – it's very subconscious and unconscious. So when you bring a confrontational conversation to them, and confrontational just means you want to have a conscious conversation and engagement, it's just it's a rush of information from the back of their head and the front of their head and an ironclad locked door, and they can't break through it. I, and I will tell you my first experience of this, and this is going to sound bizarre, but it's absolutely true. I was in grade school. And and they were here in Chicago in an experimental program. And kids who were really bright, they had us skip grades. So I would go into second grade from first grade completely confident. And, and it, you know, part of the way through second grade, they'd say, you know what, you're doing great. 
here's the test scores for put you into third grade. I was lost. They did the same thing, you know, a few different times to a small group of us. We were all sitting in math class, and they said, this is the new math. Might as well have been taught in Swahili for all I knew. And do not go home and ask your parents for help because they don't know about the new math. I remember thinking to myself at that tender age, I mean, I was like nine. Why do they want to put a separation between mommy and daddy and me? Why can't mom and dad help me with my homework? And as I progressed through the years, I went to a very conservative high school, and you were never put in a distance with your parents. But in the public schools, you were. And, and I see that. I saw that when I went into education, teaching at the university, the distance that they wanted faculty to have against parents with the students, the, the textbooks that they wanted to force me to provide for my class. Uh-uh. No, I will pick the reading material. I'm not going to force feed these kids. It's my classroom. It's freedom in education. But this has been coming along. I'm in my 60s. This has been coming along for half a century or more. This shift of let's isolate the older generation. Let's isolate the parents from the kids. When did families start thinking that it wasn't a good idea to have multi-generations in one home. What is it the developers said, we're going to put the parents in nursing facilities and have the new parents, you know, put grand, grandparents away, have parents have their own place, and then let's actually isolate them from the kids. So they're on the first floor, their kids are on the second floor. The children are on a different floor from you overnight. Well, they're partly playing their video games on the internet all night, uh, watching things that they probably shouldn't be watching. Bingo. And the desensitization that people like me started fighting against when I was an undergraduate in college about exactly that in the 70s, these video games are very realistic and we are desensitizing an entire generation against chase, against murder, against fighting, against violence, against sexually inappropriate encounters. We're desensitizing them. And then we get paintball and all these other things that are deemed to be fun and innocent. They're not fun. They're not innocent. They're not innocent at all. It's the old concept of divide and conquer. There you go. That's it exactly. Let's, let's separate. And, you know, that's what Hitler did. He put the parents away from the kids. Then they could be kids, and what they do with the kids? They brainwash them. Right. You know, and this is a lot of what is going on in China. Yeah. Is that the kids are taken and they're put into a class. And we see some of this here in teachers that uh, that don't want to give access to parents to uh, the child's uh, internet class. Mm. They won't give them the password and stuff. And they told parents, you don't, you stay out of. Really? I didn't know about this. Yeah. There was a major school system, I think it was in the Baltimore area, that did this. And the parents sued. Because what right does the teacher have to tell them, you can't see what I'm teaching your child. I don't want you to see it. Yeah. And then when they got in there, what, what was being taught was very radical and very Marxist. 
Really? Yeah. So. Now, I will tell you that um, friends of mine had actually talked. I think I think they talked on the air, but I'll withhold their name anyway, in case they didn't. A daughter in private high school, and the she came. She she started getting real quiet with her parents. She's really close to her parents. She started getting really quiet and withdrawn. And she finally, and they were kind of tolerating it. You know, it's all this weird era of all this in 2020. She finally came to them, and she was very upset and broken, saying, "I'm being asked." by my friends and by some people who I don't know who have approached me on social media to talk about racial inequality and to go out and march and to march with Black Lives Matter, but I'm scared because of the way that they're talking to me. And my friends are getting mad at me and telling me that I have to do this or I'm a traitor. So her parents sat down with her and they had these very open no apologies conversations like you and I are doing right now. And they listened. They're great at listening. Great parents. They listened to their daughter. And this young lady is, is describing to them and sharing with them, here's the messaging. And she was suffering from white privilege and feeling guilty about her life. Her parents have worked very hard. Her father's been in the military. Her mother's been a military wife. And yet she is made to feel like garbage and like she owes, and if she doesn't stand up and say, basically, black lives matter more than our lives, and march and protest against her own values, that nobody at school is going to talk to her. They're going to shun her. And it turns into a huge, bullying, angry, negative, fear-filled culture. And the best thing in the world is that they're doing virtual school. Because this kid gets to be at home with mom and dad and not have to face those kids out there. Isn't that horrible? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things we don't pay enough attention to and we don't talk about enough is that when it comes to children, someone's going to educate them. Someone is going to lay the foundation for whom they are. That's right. And with uh, the, the working plant families, yeah. Mom and dad both working. Yeah. And uh, with the last two kids, I come home. You know, there is there's no one there, so they come home and they do they do what they want to do. They want to be. Um, with the infiltration of really uh, some very bad people being put in teaching teaching roles. You know, again. Children are being taught, but who's doing the teaching? Well, have you heard on the news and witnessed when they do the lineup and the photographs of the people who they've arrested, how many of them have been teachers? That just horrifies me, and I don't care what anybody says. If you think that you've got the right to freedom of speech, okay, but it is how you have the right to freedom of speech in a peaceful protest, not rioting and looting. And if you take your freedom of speech and you walk into the classroom and you think that it is okay for you to have your curriculum be your agenda behind that agenda to disrupt family values, community values, American values, excuse me, but that sure does feel to me like treason. What in the world is treason? 
Well, it's going against what is right. You know, it's working to destroy the principles that are. All right. Treason. It's a noun. The crime of betraying one's country, especially by attempting to kill the sovereign or overthrow the government. How in the world, how in the world is it possible that we don't have every single rioter out there, every single one of these people, charged with treason? I don't understand. How do we not have, how do we not have some of our congressional leaders charged with treason? They're trying to overthrow our government. Well, if you take a look at the squad, you know, that's, when you listen to their words, that's what it's about. It is about destroying what this country has been. Because I'm not sure we can adequately define what this country is right now. I can. Okay, I'm leaning back and listening. All right. So, first, the official squad is AOC, Ilhan, and Rashida and Ayana. They're, they're fighting for transformative policies, chip in and become a founding donor to the Squad Victory Fund. Okay, these are, these are women who, in my opinion, they don't seem very American. What America stands for is the Statue of Liberty. That welcoming, as you come into the United States of America, when it used to be that Ellis Island was there. I don't know why they ever stopped that. When everybody had one central route into the United States and everybody was processed, we could keep count. We could keep track. We had records. Now people come in from all over, from all at any place in any way, and we can't keep track of them. The United States of America stands for life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness in a land that has justice, freedom for all. And in and, and our, American, our American values are, and you know, I keep, I keep using Google here. I mean, that was right off the top of my, of my head. But American values, American core values are right here. American values and assumptions, here they are. Individualism, equality, informality, the future, change and progress, achievement, action, work and materialism, directness and assertiveness, time. You know, the American dream for any American, for me certainly, and for people from other countries who come here, particularly from socialist or communist countries, is, oh, the American dream. You mean I can make money and keep it? Yeah, I get to have to pay taxes, but you mean I get some services for my taxes and I get to live in this great country that's beautiful? I mean, I can drive anywhere in the country. I can leave and come back to the country with a passport and the right visas. You mean I get to choose where I live and what I own and what I do for work and how I get educated and what my health care issues are? I get to decide how my health care is managed. 
No. Do, do you think that you think that freedom today means the same thing, the same thing it did 15, 20 years ago? It sure doesn't look and feel to me like it does because it feels to me, uh, particularly as a as a white American, I feel like my freedom is really. I feel like I am the uh, the scourge. You know, I've been defending the white American male for decades because I see this this uh, blame game being played. You know, white men have oppressed us as women, and white men have been in the leadership, and white men have been in control of everything. You know, I looked at leadership. I didn't look at control. I looked at leadership, and I felt like a follower. And I was invited into leadership in a whole lot of scenarios. So I have not felt oppressed in my own country. And I certainly haven't felt oppressed by men. I've given uh, equal opportunity. I've never been without the right to vote, to never have a glass ceiling. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. I can earn whatever it is I want to. And if you don't like the circumstance that you're in, then go do something else. You have that freedom. But at this point in time, I, I definitely don't feel my freedom. I'm afraid to go out after it's dark. I'm afraid to go out when it is even dusk. Because, I mean, I'd, I'd like to go and ride my bicycle and, and see the sunrise. And I'm kind of afraid to because I don't know what kind of people are driving around that might be looking for somebody that is my demographic to shoot me or knock me off my bike. Not that I'm really safer during the day, but I'm very aware that I'm part of a hated contingency. And it makes me extremely uncomfortable. No, I don't feel my freedom the way that I once did. I can't travel. We, I mean, we can't, we're not free to really travel. And I sure as hell don't feel comfortable with this masking. I won't go most places because I refuse to wear a face diaper and, and inhale and exhale with not fresh air. Do you think that a big part of taking, making people, um, how do I say this? That a big part of the freedom battle that goes on inside of people right now is the result of fear. Oh, yeah. Fear can squelch freedom, the thought of freedom. That's what I just described to you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I just described to you. I do, I do all kinds of work every day to fight my fears. And the only thing I really know to do is to put my hands together and pray because fear has no place when you have faith. But it is really hard to not, even in the middle of my deep faith, that I exercise daily throughout the day. That fear that comes in from all sides in our tangible, living, day-to-day society is huge comes through the internet, comes through the TV, comes through the magazines, comes through the newspaper, comes through the mail, comes when you walk outside your doors, everywhere you go, there's fear set up for you. Well, and that that fear is, is really becoming uh, the driving force in today. We heighten the fear we we make and make people afraid. The easier it is for them to be controlled. That's right. And if you listen to the message, 
whether it comes from President Trump or former Vice President Biden, if you listen to their message, the message is grounded in fear. If uh, Trump is reelected, here's what's going to happen. If Biden gets elected, here's what's going to happen. And that, that fear is just at a swelling point. And, you know, Yeah. And I really believe that's part of what they're wanting to do right now through the media. They're wanting to make people a hostage. Do you feel fearful? No. Do you feel because like I re- I refuse to allow somebody to take my freedom away from me. And I will I will stand up for that. Do you do you feel like a um um, a hostage at any point in time? Well, I feel that what they're what they're trying to do to someone like me is they're working to manipulate me. And they the media manipulates with snippets of facts, not the whole story. Yeah, right. And they're good at editing and just taking out what they want you to hear. And you know, I think it was two or three Tuesdays ago, we really talked about uh, the number of people today that are becoming cheap. Yeah. And, you know, you keep talking about critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm not sure the real issue is critical thinking. It's just the fact the more fearful I become, the less thinking I do. Because fear is an emotion that has built into it reaction. And when I react, I'm reacting to what's happening out here, and therefore, I'm not listening to myself, and I'm lessening my belief and my trust in myself. And when that happens, then I become a hostage. I become a prisoner. And and something else you said a little while ago, this whole process has been in place for quite a while. This is not something new. It's been building. And... You know, the, just the evil part of this has been building. Uh, and we've had some people in the White House that have been, that have had evil intents. And they haven't had the best interest of the American people at heart. Now, you can, you know, people can call President Trump an egomaniac. Uh, he has a big ego. But in today's world, if, if you're going to provide leadership, you've got to have a tough skin. Yes, you do. Now, I, I remember when I was doing my research for a program I do called, you know, the program A Day at the Zoo. Yeah. And I was talking to Harry Hershey, who's a big game hunter in the Palm Beaches. And we were talking about uh, when we went on a zebra hunt, and we were talking about the fact that to, to shoot a zebra, you got to have a special armor-piercing bullet because the normal bullet will just bounce off of the height of the zebra. It's so tough. And if, if you're going to be a leader today, if you're going to be a person of conviction today, if you're going to be a person that is willing to stand up for what you believe, uh, you got to wear a bulletproof vest. You really do. <clears throat> 
And this is one of the things I'm finding interesting right now as we're going through this confirmation hearing. Um, I listened to part of it yesterday, and none of it had anything to do with her. I know. It was all about politics and their big pictures of families. None of that had anything to do with her. And she's there to be confirmed, uh, not to turn it into a political circus like they did. They need to call it the hearing. We want you to come in and shut your mouth and hear us pontificate. I was embarrassed by, by nearly every single person in that room. There were a couple of people who rose to her defense. But excuse me, you're coming in there for a hearing. It should be one day and, and not a full day. What you need to do is you come in there. Everybody gets three questions. And by the way, exchange your questions so you know who's going to ask what. Come up with a committee. Everybody has to submit their questions, and then they cleanse the questions. And here's what we're going to ask her. You don't get to come in there with a five-page diatribe and you read it, and then you try to make it seem like it's coming from your heart. Excuse me. If you have to read it, you didn't write it. Well, that was one of the things I found interesting yesterday, as some of these people were reading their comments. Uh, you could tell they hadn't read it before. Yeah, exactly. And so, and then those huge pictures, bigger than life, of all the victims of what Amy Coney Barrett is going to do to these people. And how, you know, these people are, are, are in big trouble or have died or, you know, they're in peril. Excuse me. I thought that this was a hearing where you all were going to act like grown-up people who are very sophisticated in front of the United States of America and in front of the world. Thank you very much. And you were going to go through a process because we are the greatest country in the world. You made us look like freaking stupid Middle school bullies on the playground. I think it was Senator Feinstein was trying to put her in a corner. Question. And uh, she just very gently answered the question, put Feinstein in a corner, and she had to shut up. She didn't know how to. She didn't know how to come back. The the lady is brilliant. She is brilliant. Yeah, and you know you'll notice. You know, when it was Kavanaugh, they brought they, they brought all these people out that had negative things to say about him. Right. And when the, the lady that accused him of uh, raping her, who I don't know where she even is anymore, uh, once they finished playing with her, she just was tossed aside. Yeah. And uh, but they they don't they haven't been able yet so far to bring anybody out who can uh, be negative about her character. And that was interesting yesterday from the one senator, the lady senator, who said, they're going to attack you because you are a woman, you're a person of faith, and you're a family person because they can't find anything in your credentials. Right. <clears throat> right. Exactly. And, I, you know, I saw that, too, and I thought to myself, how do these people go to sleep at night? Sleeping pills. That was a very good, quick answer. Yeah, it's the only way they can do it, because they sure can't go to sleep based on their conscience. The, the, you know, the thing that just takes my breath away, first of all, some of the people in the room are wearing masks. 
Some of the people aren't. How do they make that decision? And why is Amy sitting completely in isolation, way away from anybody, but she has to wear that thing all day long? It's, it's one of those thick ones. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this is so unhealthy, every part of it, physically, emotionally. You know, she's got all this coming at her, but she went in there with eyes wide open. She knew what they were going to do. She said, my husband and I have talked about all this, wondering if we wanted to take the risks. And you know what is the worst part is that those people who are such bullies and so much into their own pontifications sat up there looking at her with her children behind her. Was her husband there too? Yes. So they have to look at that and they still attack this woman. How do you do that? Well, and you know, from what I can see, she is the living illustration of everything that Justice Ginsburg talked about. Yeah, right. I mean, she may be a little not as liberal as, you know, Justice Ginsburg was, but she is everything. Did you see the movie about the life of uh, Ginsburg? No. Great, great movie of everything she fought for and, you know, and fighting for what she, uh, for what she did, you know, and, you know, and, and everything you see about Judge Merritt, she is exactly. Everything that Judge Gins, uh, Justice Ginsburg would want, just maybe not as liberal as what uh, Justice Ginsburg was. You know, one of the things that that I found really bothersome is two things. One, people were saying, and Justice Ginsburg wasn't even dead for three days, and they were out trying to replace her. That's what you do. There's an important void in the court. Secondly, somebody had the audacity to tell her that she needed to recuse herself from this nomination because she was nominated by the wrong person. Really? And the other thing, they were wanting her to promise that she would recuse herself from any decision that was going to be about uh, Obamacare and that she had to recuse herself and she couldn't have an opinion or a voice in if she was elected. And they, they sit there and they, they ask her, will you promise? Uh, and she's not a liar, so she's not going to. The, the other part. No, and that was, you know, that was pretty much her, her answer to that was, you know, the law. The and law. Everything, every answer I heard her give today goes back to the law. It is about the law. There was, there was another, another man. And I don't know, I just don't even want to know some of their names, which is probably horrible of me. But once they start talking, I think, oh, geez, I can't believe that you're in the position of doing this. But he was saying to her, I understand that what you consider yourself is an originalist and a textualist. What does that mean in English? What does that mean? In English? Really? What language are you... What language are you speaking? I mean, I think that we better stop referring to the American public out here as stupid. I am really tired of hearing that people are stupid. People are fearful. People have not been educated in the ways in which we owe everybody 
you know, we're all citizens in this culture. We're paying the price for not educating people. Well, but isn't that part of what uh, former Vice President Biden said the other day when he said, no, they pushed him on stacking the court and I asked him, doesn't the American public have the right to know? And he looked straight in that camera and said, they do not have the right to know. And he said it two or three times. And they compared that to when Hillary Clinton uh, called the followers of Trump. Uh, what was her word? Deplorables. Uh, but she called out anyone that was for Trump was, was deplorable. And, yeah, and it's it's just amazing that someone who's going to be the wants to be the leader of the free world can stand there and say, "You don't have the right to know." Uh, but yet, we would like for Mr. Trump to turn over his tax returns, all of his medical information, and be naked, and no one else has to live that standard. I just. You know, Richard, this show needs to be about no apologies and having open and honest discussion. We also owe it to our listening public and to one another and ourselves to come here and and be voices of inspiration for people and be voices of hope for people. I I will tell you, I sincerely believe that we are the greatest country in the world. The United States of America has got a spirit about it. We are pioneers. We came here to be free. None of us, I mean, you know, I can say, I can say that I'm native to this country because I was born here. My, my parents, my, my grandparents on my father's side were born here, but on my, on my, on my, on my mother's side, on my father's side, my grandmother and my grandfather both came from Sweden. But we came here to live the American dream. There's an American spirit here. We love baseball. You know, we love all these wonderful foods and festivals and outdoor and I pledge allegiance and uh, this country tis of thee, my country tis of thee, and the right to vote in education and having a home and, you know, I love America, and I do not believe that we are stupid. I believe that we have been misled. We've got leadership that has been nefarious, not kind, not with positive intent, but with negative intent. And that hurts me. Do you think part of the agenda behind the agenda is to break the human spirit? I do. Because if I can break your spirit... And then what I can do is I can own you. Yeah. And, you know, I think that in some respects, um, in our world today, we have been so busy being busy being busy that we haven't had the time to really work on ourselves. And the strength that I bring to life is created by the inner strength that I have within me. That's right. And that means that I got to work on being a person that every day I'm committed to being better. And I want to be smarter and I want to be stronger within myself. But that that takes that takes time. It takes making yourself a priority in your own life. But so many people are so scattered and 
they're so out of sync with their life and they're just they're just sort of struggling to keep the boat afloat. But they don't they don't sense that they have the time to give to their self. Yet it's the time that we will give to ourselves to improve ourselves that will help us have the life that we talk about one. I mean we live in a we live in a society today that's exhausted. Yes, and if you if you look at what oppression is or what repression is, repression is really to push things down in your head so you don't recall them and you and you shrink down. It's an oppressive movement so that we can push you down because I need you to be obedient to me. But even in parenting, we see that if there's following a parenting style, there's autocratic, authoritarian, democratic, and laissez-faire. The laissez-faire parent says, eh, you know, whatever. The democratic parent says, well, you know, let's talk about it back and forth. The authoritarian parent says, look, we can talk about it, but I'm still the leader here. I'm your parent. I'm the adult. I have more experience. I know better than you, but you're younger. You've got some ideas. Let's let's vet them. Let's go back and forth about it. Those That style is the most successful. Then there's the autocrat, the oppressor, the person who cracks the literal whip and says, you will do what I say, and there will be no arguments about it. You know, this, this is not open for discussion. There's punitive action. And that's that's what I'm hearing and seeing right now. Hey, we're going to crash your city. And, you know, last night, Portland, one more time, extreme mm-hmm. violence. Broke into a history museum, really. Now they're after our museums. Well, and there you have the mayor of Portland standing up there, you know, talking about how bad this is. But yet he was marching with them. How hypocritical can you become? I don't get it. Do you think it's possible today to be authentic? I do. I believe that you and I are living examples of that. Don't you? Mm-hmm. But you think it's challenging to be authentic? Do you feel challenged? Every day. <laughs> I love it when I think quick enough on my feet that I throw the question back at you. <laughs> what, what makes you feel you, you are an authentic person? Because I start every day getting in touch with myself, wondering why it is that I've woken up this morning. By the grace of God, I woke up. So what is, you know, what is, what is my assignment today, dear Lord? that's going to be a benefit to all and harm to none. How can I be of service today? And I really focus on that. And I do my morning prayers, my morning meditations, my morning movements. And then I think to myself, okay, so who is it that I believe that I am here to be? What was I raised to be? All right, now I need to have my actions follow through on that. And when when I feel like I have moved out of alignment with that, I have a guilty conscience. My mother taught me what a guilty conscience was. She said, if you get a stomachache for no reason, your gut is trying to tell you something. If you get a little confused in your head, your mind is trying to tell you something. If you hear a voice that says, what are you doing? Are you sure you should be doing that? When you dial into all that and you stay in touch with that and in alignment with that, 
you're being authentic as long as you allow that to happen and then to shine through for you. And you don't tell lies and you don't manipulate people for evil. You know, of course we manipulate people. We manipulate people by dressing nice, by washing our face. And, you know, as a, as a female, by putting on makeup, I'm manipulating people's visual perception of me so that they think I'm better looking than I am. <laughs> but some manipulations are positive, you know. And, but, you know, authentic, it's the real me. And I'm not trying to hide who it is I really am. I think a big part of being authentic is that I can live my life not feeling I have to prove myself to you. Oh, I've never actually thought about that. Because if I, if I feel I have to prove myself to you, isn't that a form of doubt within my own self? I guess in my family, I felt compelled to prove myself, to my parents in particular. But that was because... Um, I really wanted them to be proud of me. So I think that there's a positive side to your question. But I think if you feel like you need to prove yourself to somebody who's got malintent or, you know, has got some sort of power over you and you compromise what you are and who you, who you are and what you do, that's not authentic. And I think that there's a lot of that out there. And I think a big part of being authentic is learning to live your life from the inside out. Absolutely, yeah. Which is what part of big part of what's missing today. Right, back to what you were talking about, people don't take the time to work on their stuff. So yeah. I don't have that foundation of belief, trust, and faith in myself. And whatever I feel about me, most of the time, is because I've let you tell me that's who I am. Well, friends, on that note, we have gone through another hour of no apologies. And Richard Flint, you're brilliant. And I just absolutely love doing the show with you without a doubt. So with 60 seconds left, you heard it. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin with my good friend and host, Richard Flint of Richard Flint Seminars. Google it. He's got groovy stuff going on. Google my name too. I've got some wonderful things. We're coming together to do more good. So on that note, no apologies. This is us signing out for today. We'll be back again next week.